Today, I'd like to continue on sharing from the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And today, I'd like to speak about the letter to Smyrna. And as we look at each of these seven letters, we will see that each one is spoken to in a different way. Each church has an individual pattern to them. They have things that they are accustomed to doing and they sort of have a personality. Now we don't know a lot about the church of Smyrna except through this letter. This church could be called the loyal church and is often called the persecuted church because we know from other writings outside of scripture that at this time, there was a lot of persecution, especially from the Roman Empire, around 100 um, AD and afterwards. And so uh, Smyrna, the church Smyrna, was right in the, in the midst of that persecution. Many of the people of the church had been killed because of their faith. They were, they were martyrs. So let's begin with verse 8. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life, says, I know your affliction and poverty, that you are rich, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison and test you. And you will have affliction for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the church, to the churches. The victor will never be harmed by the second death. I believe it was, um, I can't remember the name now, but the one man said, if you're a Christian, you only die once, the physical death, and you never have to worry or think about the second death. But if you're not a Christian, you die twice. You actually die the physical death if the Lord don't return until we pass away. You would die the physical death, but then the second death is far worse. It is the death that in some ways is not a death, but it is an eternal torment. And if I could try to exaggerate that term torment, it wouldn't be enough to, uh, to describe. Now, one thing about this letter to Smyrna, there is no condemnation in this letter at all. And only two letters have no condemnation, and that is the letter to the Smyrna church and the letter to the church at Philadelphia. You remember last week we talked about the letter from the Ephesians, and while a good part of that was positive, it was a commendation. But then the latter part of that letter turned to condemnation. Two words that sound alike, but are very much different. 
Smyrna wasn't a perfect church, but they were a faithful and loyal church, and they serve as an example of any church in the midst of persecution. And you know, as I was thinking about persecution, maybe we have experienced some little slights or maybe some kind of discrimination, but really, as far as persecution in the United States, we as our churches here don't really know too much about persecution, especially persecution unto death. But I might mention to you that churches being persecuted is not a thing of the past. In fact, the last few years, they claim that more people have been persecuted for their belief in Christ than any other years at all, individually. So persecution is still rampant throughout the church. The church at Smyrna is about 40 miles north of Ephesus. It was founded in 1200 B.C. And incidentally, we learned in college that B.C. is not before Christ, but it's before the Common Era. And so some, some uh, commentaries will have B.C.E. It was destroyed in 627 B.C. and lie, laid in ruins for about 400 years until Constantine took note of it and worked to plan to rebuild the city. It was known as the glory of Asia because around the city was a high area and so the many temples to false gods were built upon this high, almost a crown-like effect. And so Smyrna was often called a city of crowns because it was a very, very beautiful place. It had many advantages, a strong commercial base. It sat on a port. And Smyrna is still in existence today. However, it is, goes by a different name, and it is in the country of Turkey. And Turkey today still persecutes Christians in their faith at this time. And so when anyone goes to Turkey and they want to talk to Christians, they usually would do it in some kind of underground manner because it's dangerous to speak in the open in Turkey being a Christian. The church has had a very strong faith. They're an example of a church holding up in opposition. We often wonder maybe what we would do if we had strong opposition to the church, say whether it be from some group in our local communities or whether it be more on the state and national level. I don't know what we do. We hope that we would be strong. Many people have gone to their death in their witness for Christ. One commentary I was studying said about 5 million people were killed in this area around Smyrna at about the, sometime during the period of 100 to 140 um, A.D. Churches can suffer, but then we often see their spiritual power in their suffering. It's amazing that churches like in Nigeria or other places overseas, we hear of their suffering, but they continue to grow in that suffering. 
where in the United States, without much persecution, it seems like there is a bit of apathy among Christians and the churches because they're not under fire at all. Now, the comfort that Smyrna probably got in this letter was that Jesus called himself the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. And so he is telling them right there at the beginning that Jesus is the first priority in all of our lives. He's encouraging them. Jesus is the first priority, and the church at Smyrna kept first things first. They didn't compromise or alter what they were. Our churches today are being very strong in the priority of our mission, I pray, which is our mission is accomplished when people come to Christ. That's the mission of the church. We are accomplishing our work when we see people accept Christ, whether it be in the church or somewhere else, but they come to church and acknowledge that they have received Christ as Lord and Savior, and they are baptized into the faith in Jesus Christ. And incidentally, I hope to have a baptismal service here at the church, possibly on December the 12th. We're looking possibly at that and a membership uh, uh, reception ceremony at that time, too. That's the second Sunday of December. So the church's mission is not building buildings. It's not having a strong budget. Now, all these things are good and important. At Briary Branch, we built a powerful building, but the building's not the ministry. And the building does nothing but sit there. It's a tool and a very good tool, but it is not the goal or the mission of the church to see how many buildings we can build or how high we can get the budget. Also, the mission of the church is not just to get a strong attendance. Now, we like that, and it wouldn't make me sad to see our church sanctuary filled more and more with people. But in itself, that is not the goal. I could point to you many churches across the country, several that I know of, that have thousands of people coming to them, but the church is off base. They're not preaching or teaching the authentic gospel message. The church's goal is not even with community service. Now that's a very good thing, and I love being a part of community service. When we worked at Camp Galilee, one of the most successful activities we did with the youth group at Camp Galilee was we loaded them up in vans and took them to different places in the community to do service work for the people that were living in that community. We teamed up with, with a group was called the Preston County Caring Council and they would work in advance to line up places for us to go. It was a great blessing to all of us at the camp when we went out and did this service work. But as a church, we have to be careful when we're focusing on these things, which are good. None of these things are bad. We like buildings, we want a strong budget, good attendance and service work. All these things are good. But the mission of the church is to reach the lost with the salvation of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus refers to his resurrection. He was dead and came to life. I think about the churches in Nigeria. And when we had the annual conference in the Church of the Brethren, the leaders of the Church of the Brethren in Nigeria would come to the conference. And when I would see them in person or hear them talk, I just tried to imagine the atmosphere that they lived in and continue to live in, would go back to, where pastors were being killed and church members are being killed and children are being kidnapped. Buildings were burnt. Church buildings are burnt. What would it truly be like to live in an atmosphere that our church here would be in danger of being burned down before we met next Sunday? Or that our personal security was at risk just because we associate ourselves with Christian people? How much faith must a person have in Christ the Lord to live their life in that kind of circumstance? I don't know what that feels like. The nearest thing I felt to all of that at all was I got scared in Haiti a few times. But really, there was not a lot to be scared of. I just got scared a few times. I thought to myself, if I ever get out of Haiti, I'll never come back again. But I went back four more times. That's one of the things I appreciate about going to Guatemala. I don't feel much risk in going there. So if you're not going because you're afraid, just check that off the list. You don't have to be afraid. I really don't think there's a reason to fear. Think of the power and the priority that comes from living in a situation like that, where our own personal security is at stake just for being the church. This is what the church of, the, of Smyrna must have experienced. Well, Think of how this church must have experienced poverty also. Here the letter says, I know your affliction and your poverty. And yet in the, some translations it has in parentheses, yet you are rich. So Jesus says, yes, is true that materially, you are poor. But then at the same breath, he says, but yet you are rich. Now that's a lot different than is mentioned in the church of Laodicea. In chapter 3, verse 17, in the letter to the church of Laodicea, the Lord writes, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and need nothing. Now there they thought that was their condition. Chapter 3, verse 17. Because you say I'm rich and I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't know, now listen to this, you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus said, you might say you're rich, but you don't know that spiritually you're impoverished. 
And I worry today that some of our churches might boast of their wealth, their facilities, other types of seemingly advantages that they have. This church was likely very poor materially, but yet in God's eyes they were rich. Spiritually speaking, they were very wealthy. Sometimes we pity the poor. But you know, I don't know what's in the heart of those that seemingly are experiencing difficulty. I'll tell you one thing about uh, driving the bus in Kaiser. You get to, to see a lot of people. And I see some people who are living together, or, or living, not living together, living alone. They live alone, they don't have anybody to talk to, and then they get on the bus, they talk, talk, talk. <laughs> I just listen to them, let them talk. I don't say a whole lot. I, I, I reply or whatever, try to converse, have a conversation. But you see these people, and you see where they live, and uh, some of the places are rather meager. And Kaiser is a very well-populated little town there. They got a lot of little houses that are close together, some almost touching. And then you live alone, live in a pretty meager house, and they're not very healthy. Some walk out to the bus with a cane, and they can hardly get up the steps. And I see them start to have a struggle with that. And I just ask them, I said, would you like, they might even be walking and that's okay, but I can use the lift to lift them from the ground right up to the bus. So I ask them, would you like to use the lift? <laughs> a big smile comes on their face just because I ask them that. And they say, yes. So I jump off the bus and set everything up and it's just a handy little contraption and you know you open the doors and you flip a little switch and this thing comes down and lowers right down to the ground. They can just walk on that lift and they can hold on to hand holds on each side and it just lifts them right up and they can just walk right on the bus and they just seem like they think that they are just the most important person in the world because they have been lifted up. And I have to tell you what happened this past week. One lady thought I was so nice that she gave me a gift. You know what she gave me? A lottery ticket. Now that was supposed to be drawn, I don't know when. I might be a millionaire standing up here right now. You just, you, you, you know, I don't even know. We didn't even pay attention to when the numbers was drawn. What would the Lord say about our, our poverty today or our wealth or, or our own vision of our poverty or wealth? You know, I have to tell you that I, I have had the privilege of pastoring a church, that, the blessing of pastoring a church that just was was very successful in lots of ways. I mean, could we have reached more people for Christ? Yes, we could have. We re reached a lot. 
but not enough. And I am thankful for all the experiences that I had there so very much. But I have to tell you that when I drive down the quarter H here from the mountaintop, and I cross the bridge right out here, right here, which way it is, that way, this way. And I cross over that bridge, and I think there's a little church sitting down there in the holler. And I'm just as happy to be here as I would be in any church, any church at all. I'm grateful. And I want the Lord to think of us, and I pray that he would think of us as rich spiritually. And yes, I pray we do well financially, and we do well as far as success in the things that we are doing. But I hope that the Lord would never look at us like he looked at the church of Laodicea. And we'll talk about that church. And in fact, in the church of Laodicea, there is not one commendation. In the church of Smyrna, there's not one com condemnation. But Laodicea is actually the opposite. Where would we be on that continuum? That's the thought that, that enters my mind. If the Lord was writing the letter to us, would he say, we are rich spiritually or poor? And we all have our thoughts about that, usually relative to the churches around us. Well, we're doing as good as that church, but that might not be saying a whole lot. We don't want to do just as good as the next church to us. We want to do well that the Lord would say we are rich. So the church in Smyrna was productive church. They might have not had all the bells and whistles that everything had, everybody had, but they were about the business that they should be about. Some of the versions have, I know your works. Not all versions have that because some of of them believe that the best manuscripts did not include the word works. But regardless, I believe that the church of Smyrna were strong in their works. Now they were persecuted, they experienced tribulation, and this is not the, the great tribulation. But this is tribulations that we all experience sometimes. Oppression, affliction, distress. All churches and any of us can experience some types of tribulation. This church in their poverty was not the kind of poverty that we think about. <laughs> I think I live below the poverty level when it comes to the federal government's analysis of what's poverty. And yes, there are poor people in America, but it seems like even the poorest of Americans are richer than most in the world. Do you know if you own one vehicle you are among the richest 10 percent of people in the world if you own one vehicle that's how relative our wealth is but the church in Smyrna were likely struggling for clothes and food water and shelter I mean we're not talking about just not having the latest toy we're talking about essentials. I was listening to public radio on the way over to the church, and they were talking about inflation. 
And then they were talking about how great the buying season is going to be this year. There'll be more money spent this year for Christmas than any other year in the history of records. And they said, unless, the only thing will affect it, unless the cost of things start crimping our housing, our food, our transportation. So you see, it's different when, when we lack some of the more lavish things as opposed to lacking the essential things or what I would call the wants or the needs. You know, I can go a long time without my want. It's when my needs start getting affected. That's when I get a little edgy. Now, this church might have been poor. It might have been because they couldn't get a job. It might have been because they were discriminated against as Christians. It might have been because they could not buy and sell as freely as some. They couldn't join the guilds of certain types of work in that area. You see, there's a lot of different ways to be poor. There's a lot of different ways to be persecuted also. The Bible says here that they were blasphemous, or some versions use the word blasphemous. It doesn't mean blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It just means reviling Christian people, speaking out against them. And you know, there's it's a lot of ways to experience um, persecution. Mark 7.22 says, Thieves, covetousness, wickedness, deceitfulness, lasciviousness, Pride, foolishness, and blasphemy. All of these types of things were probably experienced by the church of Smyrna. But yet they were rich, spiritually prosperous. And so, self-deception. The Bible says they say they are Jews and are not. You know, when persecution comes within the church, a lot of times it comes from people who believe they're doing God's work. It's pretty amazing what people will do in the name of God. And yet they are persecuting the church. Paul referred to these when he was talking about circumcision. And he said some were circumcised on the outward, but they had no circumcision of the heart. So they had the outward appearance, but it's when we get down to the heart. And so this letter says that even the synagogue was like a synagogue of Satan. In verse 9, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. You see, Jesus cuts to the root. He didn't mentioned the people that were actually doing the ridicule and, and all the disastrous work. He says, this is the work of Satan. This is the synagogue of Satan, our adversary. Now, I'd like to consider the pressure on all churches. He goes on to say here that they would be have affliction for 10 days. Now, there's a lot of different views on what this 10 days actually means. 
whether it is 10 literal days, and if it is 10 days, what was that affliction for 10 days? We don't know. Or is it through 10 different periods of time and just referred to as a day? Or is it through 10 different Roman uh, leaders? It could be that. That's probably the most likely. You can easily name 10 leaders of the Roman Empire uh, right after this that all brought persecution to the church. Maybe that's a reference. But nonetheless, it's a period of time. And then the letter says, be faithful until death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Do you know there's about seven crowns mentioned in Scripture? The crown of life is one of them. Isn't it interesting that he says, you be faithful unto death, which remember is not really the death to worry about. And I give you the crown of life and you'll not die again. Never die again. You know, suffering can begin at any time. And I'm not a prophet, nor I stand here and say that, you know, suffering is imminent. For the church in the United States, but it does seem at the very least that there's going to be more and more pressure brought upon the church and its faithfulness. 1 Peter 1 7 says, The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, even though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a lot of honoring and suffering. Of course, we don't like it. The church here in Smyrna can have the peace of God that comes with the faithfulness that they experienced and that, that they had in turmoil. The gift of the crown of life is eternal life. Praise God. That is our great anticipation of eternal life. Remember, repent of our sins, accept Jesus Christ, commit our lives to serving him. And number the four is the expect to have eternal life. Churches must always remember the promises of God. Those are the true believers. The true church. Of all the churches across the United States and around the world, there is contained in those churches the true church. This is the believers. The story is told of a logger who was putting logs down the river. But as he was doing it, someone noticed that he would go over to a certain log and he would accept, separate that log out from the others. And seemingly put certain logs in a place by themselves. And so someone asked, what is it about those logs that you are separating? They all look the same to me. And he said, oh, no, they're very different. Some of the logs, the trees grew down in the valley where it was nice and easy. And they are not even and they are not, they didn't grow the same. But some of the trees grew up on the mountain where the storms and the wind and the beat and these trees developed very strongly. And they have the very best grain. They are used for the finest woodwork. 
I see log trucks going through Kaiser. And you know, it's just a pile of logs. But really what I wonder is, what's that log going to make? Where will the wood from that log end up? Right there. It's got to go through a lot of processing, but some of that wood's going to be part, perhaps, of fine furniture. Now, some of it might just end up as two-by-fours in the house, but others might sit, other pieces might sit in the fine, finest place in the house, be a piece of furniture. You know, the Christians that go through the fiercest of storms end up being the strongest and have the most faith and trust and confidence in God because they have experienced some of the turmoil. It seems like the church at Smyrna was just steeped in struggle. It seemed like it wasn't for the faint-hearted. But it also, from this letter, we get the indication that this church was very strong. And the Lord had a high regard for it. May it be said, I pray of us here at Oakdale. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, from the words that are written to the churches here through these letters, we get a lot of insight into what a church should be, what they should be like. And Lord, as we study each one, and each one has different particular uh, things about it, we sort of get a feeling, where is our church? in the midst of, of these continuums. I pray that you would impress upon us where we are and help us, Lord, to be a strong church that you would commend and not condemn. And I pray it sincerely in Jesus' name. Amen.